0: Uh, we're going to have our Bible reading now as we pick up uh, the story in 2 Samuel, and I think uh, is Lydia going to come and bring that to us? Yes.
1: The reading is 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and can be found on page 305 in the red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives. Hanom and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they were anointed. There they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. When David was told that it was the men from Jebesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favour because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks uh, so much, Lydia. Um, let's uh, pray briefly, and then we'll look at this uh, p- uh, passage together. Father, we do just echo that prayer we just uh, said together, Lord, that we would praise you, and that uh, looking at this passage this evening would encourage us to do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we are um, at the beginning of this um, uh, season in 2 Samuel and last week I kind of gave you a sketch overview of, of 1 and 2 Samuel and I also talked really about the intro, the introduction to the king that we get um, and this short passage that we've got now kind of completes that with an introduction to the kind of kingdom and insights into the kingdom. Now I used an analogy last week, I'm going to use a different one this week and um, uh, the uh, Uh, The BBC recently, if you saw any of this over Christmas, had a terrific couple of um, uh, three uh, programs on great rivers um, in the earth. They were extraordinary. Um, And uh, in particular, this one about the Nile. um, And can we jump back a couple, Busella? Uh, I'm going to show you a short clip of it. I'm going to use it as an analogy to talk about how this kingdom begins. uh, Something that starts and appears to start in a relatively small, relatively unlikely uh, way. Um, Let's see if we can click this back on. I don't think we're going to be able to do that, are we? What a shame. It's a great clip. Um, uh, it worked perfectly earlier on. So don't worry, Micella, don't worry. We will, uh, we will try and make our way through. So. What it does is it describes, it's a terrific program. You can go go and uh, dig it out of iPlay at some of the moments. What it portrays is the start of the Nile, which has been a mystery for um, uh, hundreds of years. People try to work out where the Nile is sourced and uh, where they, in various places they found. And up in, high up in the uh, um, uh, Zororian Mountains, um, they think uh, this water that cascades down. Now it's pretty impressive in its own right, but it is the water that is coming, it is the beginning Of what you, if you were to look at it, I can't imagine that you look at it and think that will become the longest river on Earth. It will be four thousand miles, which will run from the equator up into the towards the Mediterranean, and it's this powerful and extraordinary river that begins in this, uh, well, this mysterious, this this kind of uh, this forgotten place. Um, and so as we go through, and I want to use that as an opening kind of analogy really for what is going on in this part of 2 Samuel, the, the, the kingdom of uh, David, the kingdom of God is its beginning. It may not look like it's very much, but it is going to be the start of something that is extraordinary, will uh, go on for a very long time. And in fact, as we'll see as we go through, has a kind of continuity that takes us through to even where we are now. So that's where we start. A kind of uh, an intro to the king last week, an intro to the kingdom now. And um, that um, table, which uh, was here, um, is the uh, is the, the sketch overview that I said we have of one and two Samuel, and that we we saw that we see the the, the life of Saul and David, and Saul's kingship. But even almost as, as soon as that's begun, there's a, a seed, there's a, um, a beginning with David. But it's not until now and until 2 Samuel that we see him emerge as king. And that's what's unfolding um, as we look at it. What do you need to know about these these first seven verses? You might wonder why on earth we're looking at those and just those. Let me give you some context that will hopefully make sense of it. It's a north-south Divide in this um, context so we 'll call we 'll call this the North because that actually is North if you were going that way. Um, uh, this is the North, and that is the South, depending on what those words mean to you in your life but north south divide. In the north, this is where, I talked about this last week, Saul had been in the north of the country, Saul had been fighting against the Philistines, and the Philistines had moved in against that territory up, up north. And I talked to you last week about how actually they had defeated Saul, it was really a, it was an awful day for Israel. Um, I described how Saul had ended up falling on his sword, his three sons had been killed, um, it was a disastrous day. And in fact, the whole of the Philistines would then, they would move in and occupy certain territory up north. Um, and that was the situation um, that we, left, we were left with uh, when we arrived at 2 Samuel. In the south, back down uh, here, I described how David had been in a place called Ziklag. Okay, now he had been down here. Now, what I didn't really talk much about last week, in the south... David had largely been, since uh, uh, kind of for a while now, because Saul was trying to kill him. He had been down amongst the Philistines himself, l- operating largely as a double agent. Occasionally, there's a couple of James Bond movies that start where Bond is, is somewhere in a kind of exile, somewhere, and, and the British establishment don't quite know where he is and quite what he's up to, and he's sort of no, he's not quite gone rogue, but he's no one is, is quite sure about his whereabouts. And David is effectively there. He is in Ziklag. He is being down with the Philistines. So it means there's quite a difference in where he is and where um, some of the events that we'll see are happening up in the north. And we're going to look at just two things. The, chapter, the, the section that we've got here just divides very neatly into two things as we look at what um, David's kingdom is like. It is Firstly, we're going to see a homecoming king. And then secondly, we will see an outward-looking king. So the homecoming king uh, is these first um, three uh, uh, or so verses, four verses. Um, And what we'll see is this, this uh, this homecoming king. It's it's like a hidden kingdom within the kingdom. Let's just glance at those verses again. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there. Now the decision to go back, you see what I'm saying? The decision to go back to to Judah isn't a small one. If if he's been kind of he's been on the edge of things. So we sometimes imagine, I guess, that King David just arrived and was, you know, he was just there and in place and it was all sitting and waiting for him. But actually he's really he's outside of things. And the movement, it's it's been a place of safety, I guess a place of danger in the sense that he's operating as this double agent with the Philistines. But to make that move is no small deal. But what we see him do defines him against Saul, if you like, because he asks the Lord what he should do. He inquires of the Lord, you see, and, he inquires, and then when he says you should go up, he says, well, where should I go up? And, and to Hebron he says, this, we're being introduced to this king and his kingdom, and he is going to do God's work In God's way, he's going to listen to the Lord, and he's going to be a defining marker uh, in contrast to Saul. And some of Saul's greatest disasters came about because he didn't listen uh, to the Lord. And we might notice that in passing, but probably the emphasis, I think, uh, comes in verses 2 to 4. So David went up from there with his two wives, uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, Uh, David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron, its towns. The men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed King David over the tribe of Judah. So this is a a big move, and probably his men, um, at one point it was 400, it's probably, let's say it's maybe 600 by now. It talks about his wives whom he had rescued from the Amalekites, uh, and they had been kidnapped by them. So this is a big move. that You've got to imagine this caravan of 600 people and their families deciding they are going to go back into Judah from being outside and on the fringe of things and in this place of safety. Um, I don't know where you are from originally. Manchester is that kind of place where you may well be from somebody somewhere. Some of you will be from here. But it, it, we, we're a mixture of people. I don't know what it would mean for you to go back to where you were from. Is that something that you imagine, for some of you, it might be, oh, it would be a wonderful thing. It would be dead easy. Some of you might be, well, I, I don't know how I would fare going back there now. I feel slightly like I'm a different person now to how I was then. How would they receive me? Could I go back? So there's no small deal for David. And he goes to uh, Hebron, and this is a significant place. Uh, in God's people's history. This is where Abraham, uh, the, you know, the trees at Marmara were near Hebron. This is where the, uh, the patriarchs, a number of them, were buried. Um, and this is a significant place and it's a significant uh, um, location for the history of God's people. And if you like, what the reason I'm trying to flesh this out for us is to say, can you see at this point, David is moving. It's, not, it's a big deal for him, but that's all he's doing. He's taking a load of people. He's been not quite in hiding, but he's been in a sort of exile, and he's made it back to Judah. And we're told at the end there, they anointed him king over the tribe of Judah. So that is it. He's one tribe. So if you asked him on the ground at the time, well, how, you know, how's it? Well, I've I've got these folks with me. I'm actually getting my wives back. Um, I've got one tribe. So you're the great David. Yeah. Well, let's not get carried away at this point. It may not look like that much uh, at this point. But if it, in a sense, that's the, what the writer is wanting to draw us, our, our attention to is just the way in which his kingdom works. It begins small. Jesus would later say the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like something that appears small. But it gradually grows, and develops. He is the homecoming king. If you look at the, uh, the map of uh, the land of God's people at the time, you'd say, well, there he is in the south. He's got one tribe, but it's beginning. And that is why the second point that he makes... Uh, uh, we'll look at this evening. The outward-looking king. If he's the homecoming king, he's also the outward-looking king. Um, and this is the growing kingdom. If the, if the kingdom begins small, it then begins to grow. So when, uh, in halfway through verse 4, we're told, when David was told, or basically David was told, first of all, it was the men from Jabesh-Gilead uh, who had buried Saul. Now, what that means is this. I said to you, there's a scene up in the north, um, uh, and we'll call it uh, uh, Jabesh-Gilead, where they were. And Saul had died on the battlefield, and his sons had been killed. Now, the Philistines had then taken those bodies and had strung them up. Because that's what you did in the time, if you're victorious. Uh, you, you raid the bodies at the end of the battle and you string them up as a warning or whatever it is, or you're a kind of triumphant claim that you have defeated those people. And they had moved in, as I said, and they'd occupied those, uh, those lands. Now, the story then is told that some uh, uh, people of Jabesh-Gilead were loyal to Saul. Um, and they couldn't stand the thought that that's what was happening to him and his sons. So they send in a night raid. It's pretty dangerous. They send in a night raid to go and retrieve the bodies of Saul and his sons, so that they can be given a proper, honourable, dignified burial. So that's the context, which is all kind of wrapped up in that one phrase. He's told that the men from Jabesh Gilead had buried Saul. And it means that there's a couple of things going on at once. There are these guys who are loyal to Saul, and they didn't want his body to be dishonoured, so they dealt with that. But they are also, if you can imagine, if they're loyal to Saul, they are easily at least rivals to David, and probably enemies, potentially. So he hears this news that this is what has been done, and how does this king respond? How is his kingdom going to work? So David then sends his messengers, uh, verse 5, he sends messengers to them. So you imagine they, I don't know quite how that would work, but you send a group of messengers who are going to travel up north um, to the place where this is now sort of Philistine-occupied territory find uh, those followers who are loyal to Saul and say, look, can we get you a message through? This is what David, who's just been crowned down in Judah, this is what he wants to say to you. And he wants to say this. He says four quick things. Firstly, he says, the Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master. Um, Would the Lord bless you for showing uh, the word that we come across from time to time in the Bible, the kindness there is hesed, uh, his loving kindness, that kind of extraordinary um, loving kindness and commitment. He says, look, bless, would the Lord bless you for showing that kind of commitment to um, Saul? And in fact, may the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness. Would he show you hesed? I want the Lord to show you blessing. Blessing and faithfulness, and kindness. And then thirdly, I too will show you the same favour because you've done this. So in fact, the most extraordinary thing, I want to be the one and can be the one that will show you blessing that I want you to have from the Lord. I'm going to be the agent of the Lord's blessing. And lastly, fourthly, so have courage. Have courage. Be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. What is he doing? He is showing how his kingdom works. Do you see that? The reason I try to set up this division, he goes to those who were potentially his enemies, and he, through winsome appeal, through offering grace, seeks to win them round. Um, I, I want to begin with this river analogy, this um, great river, because the, this relatively humble beginnings, the source of the Nile, which they kind of try and track down, it makes its way, and the, and the river begins to grow and build. At, at some point, it becomes a, 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 a vast lake, uh, which then it kind of feeds on through, um, and it gradually it, it, it develops, and it then makes its way through some of the harshest terrain in Africa, some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the the most inhospitable parts of the earth. And because of the nature of the river and, of course, of its life-giving potential, it draws all sorts of things to it. It draws all sorts of incredible animals. So you, you see the elephants and the, the hippopotamuses and hippopotami. They get drawn into this incredible uh, life-giving river as it makes its way through. It, it draws people in, and civilizations have been built on the banks of this extraordinary river. And that is what is going on here, and we're seeing it just in miniature at the beginning. As the, the river of David's kingdom which starts small but begins to reach out to even his enemies and his rivals. And it draws them in. The, pa- the, the, the power, I guess, of that winsome appeal of offering grace to those who are on the other side of the camp, to him, the north-south divide, as it was here, is extraordinary. And there's a, a writer... Um, Scott Sewells, who's a pastor and a, a writer in the States, um, he wrote a line in, a, in one of his books that stuck out um, with me, where he, he says this, After 18 years of pastoral ministry, I've never met a person who fell in love with Jesus because a Christian scolded them about their morality or their ethics. Have you? He says. See, the winsome appeal that David makes, the offer of grace, the blessing that he wants to see the Lord give them, the means by which he will be that blessing, it's extraordinarily powerful, isn't it? It's as if David is saying to them, look, you know, these guys in, in Jabesh Gilead, look, I know, look, you are, I can see, you're leaderless, you are rudderless, You've, you've buried your king. You don't quite know where you're going now. What are you doing? I am what you are now looking for. I can bring you what you now need. I, to anyone out there who is feeling that way and feeling like they are searching, he said, look, I am the one that you are searching for. And he makes that gracious um, and winsome appeal. This is the... And the writer is very clever in his opening, just this opening chapter and a half. He is sketching out for us an introduction to the king and an introduction to the kingdom and how it works. This is going to be the kind of kingdom that David has. And yes, as we will go on and we will discover, it isn't at this point perfect. But it is sketching out for us how God's kingdom should work and how ultimately in his son, the Lord Jesus, it will work that it will be like a, a mustard seed. It will be apparently small, apparently insignificant. And yet it will grow and it will grow. And that winsome appeal that he offers, the grace that he offers those who are even his enemies, will draw them in and build his kingdom. And of course, the evidence of that is not only us here, but the countless thousands around the world who are evidence of the growth of his kingdom down the decades and the centuries. And so my encouragement to us this evening, I think this is meant to encourage us. This is, he is sketching out for us this opening, the king and his kingdom, and it's meant to encourage us. And there is a, a question that I kind of want to put up for you, and it's, uh, I did this last week, and you can perhaps think about this over some food a little later on. Um, can you think of something that, you know, to, to most would look small, would look insignificant, would look like it's, it, it hasn't got a great deal of value. But where you can see, God's kingdom is growing. That is something to encourage one another with, as we kind of grab a cup of tea and hopefully some warm food. That is the, uh, the thing to encourage one another. Or to, and to just to reflect on yourself, can you see? Because if you looked at the map at that point, you'd have seen David and one tribe but you'd have seen him beginning to reach out and look outward to others and say, I'm going to be the blessing that you are looking for. Let me encourage you with that. The, uh, um, the Great River, and um, it's a huge plug for this show, which obviously you know, I've been doing all evening, but it's great. Um, it ends when the river gets to the Mediterranean and tons and tons of water flow into the Mediterranean. It's extraordinary. And you think it has been 4,000 miles um, from the equator upwards, passing its way through, forming great rivers, drawing people in and then gushing out into the sea. And it's, if you like, it's the mental picture I want you to have of how Jesus and his kingdom works. And one day, one day we will see that torrent flow and we will rejoice. Should we pray? Father, as you brought David to this point, as you led him and he listened to your words and made his way to Judah, who would have known what was beginning at that point? That would be a kingdom that would far outlast even him, and on to his son, uh, your son, that Lord, whose whose kingdom has extended and extended. Lord, I pray that we would marvel at your ways. Uh, we would see how you are uh, inviting us to see your kingdom at work. And Lord, each of us will be able to reflect and think, how can we be encouraged by how you work and what you are doing, when it may not look precious or important in the eyes of the world, and yet to you has eternal significance. Amen.